Howdy, y'all! Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. This is my podcast. You made it. We've got two dear old friends on the show today. Jeff Barber and Sarah Perkle are here. Jeff and Sarah have been making music together for over 20 years now. They're all over the place in the Americana roots and even the bluegrass scenes here in town. I met Jeff and Sarah during the Black Box Theater production of Measured in Labor back in 2004, I believe it was. Jeff and Sarah wrote the original music for that show, and uh, we toured that production, that play, around to different communities in Tennessee, Kentucky. And it was a real bonding experience. And even though we only spent a summer together, it forged a, uh, a friendship that uh, will, without question, stand the test of time. They're wonderful people. They're fantastic musicians. They're out and about. Go see them whenever you can. This is a really great conversation. I was very happy to catch up with my friends, uh, Jeff Barbara, Sarah Perkle. Here it is. We're doing the podcast. Couldn't, and it's that pollen, man. I know. It'll get you. East Tennessee, baby. That's uh-huh. right. Well, you guys are uh, you're kind of staples in East Tennessee. You've been around You've been around here for a while. Did both of you guys grow up here? <laughs> yeah. Live here? I'm from Knoxville. He's from Blunt County. I'm from Blunt County originally. Okay. Where'd you go to high school, Sarah? Central. Ooh, yeah. So you are in Knoxville. Kind mm-hmm. of downtown. My mom went to Central. That's how Knoxville I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you're Blunt County guy all the way, man. As far back as I can trace, as far as the generations, yeah. All the really, yeah. Have you done the 23 and Me thing? No, I, I'm afraid to. I'm afraid somebody might try to clone me. I don't yeah. know why they. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sell me to a different we country. Don't need two of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm more I'm more worried about no, finding can... out me and Sarah are related or something. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm yeah. Well, I didn't want to say that, but it is Blunt County, you know. So. <laughs> There's a strong possibility of that. <laughs> so how did the how did your what came first, your music or your marriage? <laughs> the same time. Really? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean our first uh our first date was a gig. Really? Yeah. Pretty much. I mean I met him at the music store I was teaching at. Okay. Which one um, was that? Marlins. Okay. Is that is that in Knoxville? No, it's it was it's in Maryville. Is it? And is then, it still around? Yeah, they just moved locations here recently. Um, from where they had been for, oh, I don't know how long they'd been on, on Broadway in Maryville forever. Mm. And then we were at a party at Steve Kaufman's house. He had a picking party like a couple of years later, and we just started talking, playing music immediately. So did, did, was, it a, was it a bonding thing? Would you guys? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It was a big thing to have in common with really? somebody. You know, it's it's I, music broke up my relationship before Jeff because I didn't play the fiddle when I, I was you know with this person and and I picked up playing the fiddle while I was with him and he didn't like it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Why he not? was all about it at first. Um, Have you heard anybody work up a fiddle tune? There's a that. brand new fiddle. T- <laughs> there's that. He was all about it till I started getting really good at it. Oh, and no. jealousy. Um, something like that. It's yeah. It's it just. If you're not a musician, you can't understand another musician, mm. you know, especially somebody that does it full time. And that's their desire to live and lives and breathes music. Mm. You know, it's hard to unless you're a musician. Yeah. It's hard to explain it's, that to it's somebody. It's the rare, rare person who can be in a relationship with a musician that's not. They have to really love the music. Mm, or the um, person. Yeah. <laughs> or hopefully yes. both if you're married. Yes. I mean, it does happen, but <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. It, it, and you guys have, have both made 
a good living doing it and for a, a while. I wouldn't say yeah. a good living, but we've paid the bills. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good to me. We come yeah. up long enough to breathe, you know, and get get a a breath of air and then, you know, just keep your head above water. Yeah. We try to focus on the little luxuries that our lifestyle like um, air conditioning, us. you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we get to sleep late. Yeah. Um, but yeah, financial stability. Eh. Yeah, it's like what's a four oh one? Yeah, we don't have one of those. <laughs> it's it's funny because yeah, but people spend their entire lives seemingly focusing on a passion. I'm talking about musicians, and they get to a certain time where they kind of have to make a decision if the lifestyle that they're making can is the one that they is the one that they want, right? Or if there's other things that are more important to them, exactly. And right. so it's awesome. To see a decision where people say, my, my music is my passion and it's my thing and everything else be damned, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it has, it's, it's, it, it pays the bills. Yeah. I mean, COVID, the whole COVID shutdown was really scary. What'd um, you do? Well, I curled sh- up at a ball and cried for like a week, you know? Yeah. About like everybody else. Yeah. He's I mean, got a, a big story that goes along with what happened, what he did right before the shutdown happened too, about some exciting things he was working on that just got. Shut down. What was that? Well, I just got hired to. Uh, or you applied for a job. You didn't get for, hired. Applied for a job uh, for Amy Klobuchar uh, for her uh, presidential run. Oh, to work on the campaign. Work on the campaign, and they had uh, paid for me to go to the Charleston presidential debate, mm. which was a huge deal. Sent me sure. there to represent them, right? And a bunch of other folks from around the country, just a handful of folks, and I was one. Hillbilly from East Tennessee, they wanted to send for some, whatever reason. That's awesome. And uh, that, that was, was March the 3rd. That was March the 3rd, the day before my birthday. And um, that was just a spectacular experience, you know, right there. I mean, it was a, a huge deal. It was the night that uh, Joe Biden actually announced that he was going to nominate a woman to the Supreme Court if he was elected. Mm. And that kind of put him over the line as far as that, you know. It, and it was just cool. That whole vibe, it was like going to church in Charleston. Yeah. And uh, it was a huge deal, huge deal. Get back. It's raining and have to do it behind the barn that night. That's what our live concert series we our were doing. Our live concert we, mm-hmm. we had. And uh, two weeks later, uh, we did our last show at Behind the Barn because of COVID mm-hmm. and everything shut down. And it was f- coming from this big, great high. You know, with uh, getting to be able to participate with Klobuchar and this all this cool stuff, and I thought, man, this is great. I'm gonna everything's back on. You know, doing well and between music and and getting to work in politics and stuff, and then boom, all the the entire rug of all of that was pulled out from under me. You know, and everybody else, of course. Yeah, it's just a, it's a shame that you were in the in the throes of something I was, new I was and in exciting. The, yeah, I was in the zone, man. Yeah. I, I was fired up and. Yeah, it, it sucked. But, you know, I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of stories like that across the country. I'm sure there are, too. You know. But well, the, the way we got by, though, was we got un- unemployment for a little bit. First of all, we just, you know, looked at all our credit cards and our savings and tried to figure out. Because, you know, we make our living. Te- I teach private lessons and, you know, concerts. And so we looked at, okay, how can we get through what we thought was going to be a two-week shutdown or maybe a month? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got unemployment. But I started teaching online lessons, 
which I'd never done before. I think everybody is. People were needing their kids, something for their yeah. kids to do. Right. And so I, I took it on. I learned how to teach music online and I still do it. I'm, I'm seeing people in person, but I still have people that'll go, hey, um, we're real busy today. Can we Zoom? That's great. Yeah, it is great. And I have students that are, I have one that is, uh, she was in Alabama. Her parents are in the Navy. They're going to Bahrain and we're continuing our our lessons. I think that's the real big win of this whole yeah. normalization of Zoom culture. Absolutely. Has been the uh, the way that people can, even without the necessity of needing to work remotely, you now have that option mm-hmm. to where right. you never would have thought before that you could, that, that uh, someone could live in another country and be a student of yours. Yeah. Yeah. But now that's a normal thing. Yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of cool that, you know, a bunch of the musicians like, you know, like us, we all kind of learned at the same time because nobody had done the Zoom thing. Right. And, uh, no, you know, there were very few people doing online concerts that much, you mm-hmm. know, everything kind of revolved around around live music. So, yeah, it's always it's such a crowded space, you know, the the uh, live streaming and, and right. all that and YouTube channels. And it's like. You know, it became even more crowded when everybody was forced to go that direction. Big time. Because, sure. you know, people were trying to drum up support, money, yeah. uh, to, you know, because gig workers, people that make their money gigging had to had to do something. But it was such a bummer that the space was already crowded before that. That's true. Right. Uh, but you did have, you know, you did have some correction because there were people out there who now would support that that uh, uh, consumers that would now support right. that intentionally rather right. than just before being a passive, you know, kind of uh, Twitch or Facebook live or whatever, they might scroll by something. But now it was like, we have to support these people yeah. somehow. Well, we so got that, a lot of support. Good. Absolutely. Did you? Mm-hmm. Are, yeah. are, so you guys, I guess, started your, your outfit together. I always forget who comes first. Is it, is it Jeff Barber and Sarah Perkle, Sarah Perkle, Jeff Barber? Does it matter? Well, Alphabetical order, I suppose. Yeah, we don't really Flat. care, but it's that's the general rule in any band we've ever been in. If just put the names in alphabetical order, then nobody can complain. First name or last name? Because it's both name. in your case, right? Last name, yeah. Okay, last name. Okay. Yeah, that's... And I guess, yeah, I, I have, with other people that have come on the show, I've told the story about uh, the Coal Creek Project and how we met... How we all, or how I got introduced to um, to you guys, but also a bunch of other folks who've had a huge impact on my life in the arts in East Tennessee, uh, and it, that was kind of—I don't know why—and and for everybody else, I feel like it was kind of um, kind of a special moment in time too, with with the run of that show, the uh, Measured in Labor, the yeah. Cold Creek Project that you guys wrote mm-hmm. all the original music for, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a whole group, the actors co-op group that I felt like was really tight. And I was just kind of a visitor into that world. Yeah. But for some reason, I still did feel like it was a, a special. It was very family feeling, you know, I felt like it was. I did, too. <laughs> I, looking back, we call you know, we call that the sleep deprivation tour. It was because, it, you know, we were rolling into town. And we always called you Young Ben. And too. Young Ben. It's always Young Ben. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we've got all kinds of Young Ben stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. You can tell some of them. It's <laughs> not in mixed company. <laughs> um, how old were you at the time again? I think I was 19. Okay. I don't want you guys to go to jail. Yeah, bro. there's the problem. There's the problem about telling these stories. I mean, I had a how little far leverage. does the law go back on these things, you know? <laughs> it depends on which crime in particular you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, but that was a uh, the run of the show 
I thought was very special at the actors co-op because you guys, not only did you, did you write all the original music for the play? You also performed it at every show. Right. And, uh, I got chill bumps waiting in the wings and hearing you guys play some of those songs that you had written that were so, um, poignant, but they also, they, they were so evocative, um, because I thought that the, the subject matter of the show being a, a story about a coal mining family in Kentucky that had, um, that had had a terrible tragedy, a mine explosion in this case. Right. And every male in the family was in that mine when it happened. Right. And this is a true story. And I, I don't think it was a unique story. I think it happened, you know, often when. Definitely. Well, sure. This, this was, was specifically about the Cold Creek mining disaster of uh, Freighterville, Tennessee, up, which is was up around. La Follette. It's it's now called Rocky Top. It I was think. Lake City, and now it's Rocky Top. Was it? It was the Freighterville. Freighterville. Freighterville, okay, and yeah. then it became Lake City, and then now it's Rocky Top. Gotcha. Ah, I got I got that mixed up. I thought it was further north than that. Nope. So it was Fre- Freighterville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. originally. Yeah, I don't think you went to the workshops with us when we first started Mm-mm. visiting the sites. I was a late comer. Yeah, I think you guys must have been hard up to, for that for that role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I remember it now. We were like, "Who's going to play this character?" Because we workshopped it oh, for yeah. about a year with Alan Gratz. Yeah, um, best time, New York Times best best-selling yes. author now, Alan mm-hmm. Gratz. Have you had him on the podcast? No, he lives in Asheville, right? We ran yeah. into him uh, what a month ago. Sarah got inducted into the uh, East Tennessee. Writers Hall of Fame. Well, hell yeah. She got the award last year. In the songwriting category. songwriting category. But um, yeah, Alan Gratz, who was the playwright for Measured in Labor, he was inducted in uh, for the Young Adult Fiction category this year. I don't know if you followed what he's doing, but his books are... He's a rock star. He's a rock star in young adult fiction. Samurai shortstop. Yes. There's more than that. It, now. That was his first one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. That kind of went bonkers. Yeah. And then he, so it's young adult stuff. I always thought it was like, yeah, teenage, you know, right. formative and years. He is stuff. a rock star. Yeah. He's got um, one that's this huge. It's called Refugee, and it tells the story of three kids who are in different refugee situations. He also has another one called Ban This Book. It was very <laughs> come come after me. Yeah, very yeah about what we got going on right now. And and then Jeff happened to yeah you know, we saw Alan at this induction ceremony, and it was great to see him and catch up. He has some very cool shit coming up. I don't know if we can talk we about. Probably it. can't talk we'll about. We'll tell it. you when we're not recording. Okay. We can tell you, but we can't we can't talk about it yet. I, I need to I need to rattle his cage a little bit. See see if he'll see if next time he comes over the mountain he. Come well, y'all obviously down. like the same baseball team, so. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Got my Braves hat <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, I, those when we toured that the measured in labor, the Cold Creek project. I feel like that is when the bonding really happened. Yeah. <laughs> and I, me and Alan, you know, rode rode in the van together a time or two. Uh, with, I guess we had the whole set, you know, or, or half the set in one of the vans, and that was like moving a house That's every the, time we set that set up. Yeah, yeah, I mean that was the gig, you know. We show up and in, roll into a town. I, I think we did what Pineville, Kentucky. Yeah. Um, Harlan. Harlan. Um, trying to think that Whitesville. other. Did Whitesville. Did we do Whitesville? Whitesville. Whitesburg. Whitesburg. Yeah. Sorry. Um, anyway, Dunlap, Tennessee. Dunlap, yeah. There's what I was the saying Coke about ovens. Dunlap, we Tennessee, where we stayed in that little strip of uh, <laughs> concrete block motel things mm-hmm. you know old school this yeah. is where the crime of setting off uh, fireworks in the port of john happened yeah and, uh, and young yep. men got locked in it somehow i'm not sure <laughs> i think it was a bet i'm not sure 
<laughs> you still owe me 20 bucks, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't we sneak into the pool next door or something like that? Was that was another place. I remember we got thrown out. Yeah, that was did. the one where nobody showed up to the. Yeah, it was like <laughs> to the play. we needed a break. We had this beautiful theater to do the play in for once. It was some kind of civic hall, and nobody showed up to it, see it. Somebody kind of tried to promote it on their end and kind of maybe dropped the ball or whatnot on the promotion of it. Nobody showed up. It's like, oh man, but. You know, it's kind of cool to have a break. Let's just go back to the hotel and get trashed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's pack this house back up that we've been unloading <laughs> yeah, since exactly. one o'clock this afternoon. I know. So, <laughs> I do remember not being too upset about people not showing up to that show. Because I remember uh, it was it was either Amy Hubbard or Kara Kemp walked backstage and was like, hey, I think there was a you know mix up with promotion of this show because there are four people here. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we were getting... We were getting pretty good turnouts in the other yeah. cities that we toured that show around. Yeah, we sure. And it was, uh, I, I really do feel like that was the that was the magic of that whole thing. And that was through an NEA grant, if I'm not mistaken. It was. Okay. So I think I think uh, Amy Hubbard, with her grant writing prowess. She's, uh, she's the queen of that stuff, man. Yeah. She's just the queen of a lot she of stuff. She made the whole thing happen. Yeah. I mean, she, I call her Make It Happen Amy, because mm. she does. Or Kung mm. Fu Amy is the other thing I call her, because she was really into Kung Fu when I first met her, back before I met Jeff. But um, <laughs> I think she worked on a can- in a cannery when you first. She was working at, no, I met her in Knoxville, through a friend of a friend. We hit it off immediately. Then she went to Alaska to work at a cannery. And sleep yeah. in a tent, and then when she came back, she started just making whatever she whatever she wanted to do to make her creative life. She did it. She can do it, man. Mm-hmm. She's she's a she pushes and finds a way to get to get things done. And this and takes a lot of us along with her while sure. she does yeah. it. Yeah, we're. I need a leader sometimes. Oh, me just too. To, just to forge the way. Just poke through. I'll follow you and support you all the just, way. I just yeah. need you to, to just, make a hole. Just yeah. grab my leash and lead me. <laughs> <laughs> where I need to be led. <laughs> but I, you know, we aside from from touring those shows when we would when we would get together af- afterwards and you guys would pick up the guitar and 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 the fiddle and just serenade all of us. That was that was that was special too. You felt like you had a front row seat to a private concert. Jeff Barber and Sarah Perkle. That's exactly what it was. Well, everybody was participating. Yeah, I remember there was um, there was the Ben Blues. I think. <laughs> What was yeah. that blues song? We did the blues I, song. I, I where for- we'd all go around and all make up a whole line of a verse, you know, mm-hmm. and it would just become ridiculous yeah. the more we drank. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something about Kara Kemp and some of her anatomy. There was some blues about that. Anyway, we did the Ben Blues. You don't remember this? I do remember it because you, you had me do it at my wedding. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. You that was a fun that. wedding, man. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you guys, uh, we were we were sitting when we were at the rehearsal dinner, which was beautiful. You guys were perfect for that whole oh, setup. A, that was Thank great. You. We and had a great time. It was great to be there. Was Thank it? You. Yeah. It was a super cool vibe, um, and you guys were the cherry on top. Oh, man, that it was cool. Music in a barn, and, and that was know, great. It was super cool. Uh, and but we were sitting there, and, and you guys really, I was I was taken by surprise. My mom was like, Well, how when did you know that they were going to have you on stage and and uh, sing that song? And I was like, Uh, when they said it, like, and that wasn't a song, that was just. <laughs> <laughs> D- drawing on my, my my past of improvisation. Yeah, riffing. That, that's when we knew when we said it. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't plan. Yeah. 
<laughs> we hardly ever you start plan. telling these, thinking about these stories, and you never know what's going to happen. You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, that that uh, that may have been the last time I've seen you, Jeff. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, it's been that long. Yeah, I've run into you in the old city a few yeah. times, but yeah, I don't. I'm a hermit. I don't leave the house much right now. You don't? No. Did you, did you guys, um, were you pretty careful during COVID? And oh, that? yeah. My parents both rounded the corner on their last days during, my dad, they delivered his hospital bed for hospice on March 13th of mm. 2020. And um, my mom had Parkinson's. And so we were prepared to be their caregivers, but we were not prepared to do it during a pandemic when we couldn't get any right. help. But um yeah, we were, it, it was like if, if one of my siblings, if any one of us had gotten COVID and even had to quarantine, it would have been so difficult. It would and have messed alone, up the whole care, caregiving yeah, situation. Yeah, let alone trying to protect mom and dad mm. from getting COVID, which we were all so concerned about. Right. We thought mom had a good, who knows how long, she was like the Energizer Bunny. We thought she was going to be around for a while. But anyway, this is that's a whole great big story. But yeah, we were very much deep into quarantine mm. um, to be able to take care of them. And so I only saw Jeff and my mom and my sister in person. Yeah. We got groceries delivered. Yeah, so that did that please you, Jeff, to have the uh, a pandemic where you could uh, uh, you know I thought be a hermit. <laughs> I thought it wouldn't bother me as bad. I mean, in the first few months, didn't. But as it drug on and on and on and on, I'm like, damn, this is getting boring even to me. Really, you know, this sucks even to me. And I, you know, I'm a big homebody. Um, but yeah, just being home all the, you know, it's yeah. just being. Uh, I guess I was working at home or doing my thing, and we were playing music and just having to. I, I guess not, being at home and not being able to play music live uh, was really the deal. It kind of took your outlet away that, from you. Yeah, me. that completely. I mean, I'm just unplugged me completely. Yeah. Now we um, we're we're people made to be in a pandemic together because we get along great. Which I think <laughs> we kind of dug just hanging out me and him for really? a little while. Um. Yeah, we're buds. Sure. <laughs> oh, come on, man. <laughs> well, you guys, you live out of town a, li- a little ways, but you gig, and I guess you gig in Maryville, or, or we did, did um, a lot. We had a live radio concert series on WFIV called uh, Behind the Barn. Was that we, at Barley's? Yeah, Barley's. It's now called Blue Tick. Yeah. Um, and then we also had another, like a Sunday morning gospel show on WFIV. All that went away. The, the radio station completely changed their format to canned oldies. Mm. And so we lost our gigs. Because we lost most the live of their, gig and the other gig. Right. Oh, mo- most of their revenue was based off of uh, commercials uh, for live music events. Mm. So when live music events got shut down, thus the advertising dollars. Yeah, yeah big they festivals. They lo- lost all so, their revenue. Right. That was a very... That that had big implications for the music industry. Absolutely. I feel like the pandemic uh, hit the music industry and the hospitality industries as bad as just about any anything. Mm-hmm. Still yeah. is, still is still impacting is. people who are trying to tour. Really, there are a lot of. Uh, I know Jonathan Bird just made a big announcement that he was not going to be touring anymore. Um, Jonathan Bird is one of my favorite songwriters ever. He's fantastic, but he's to the point like it's not sustainable to go out. It never really was, but. You know, now um, you could get out, spend all this time setting up a tour and get out and get exposed and have to or get sick and be quarantined and lose the whole tour. Right. So he's staying in his region now. That's it. 
there's this, you guys exist in this world, I think, of this um, kind of Appalachian um, kind of, I want to say grassroots. It's it's musicians that are, are, are big enough to make a living doing it, but not doing national tours. I think about like, I don't know. Chuck Brodsky is one that yeah. comes to mind. You remember sure. him? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, like like that. Regionally known, people know you all yeah. over the place. Uh, and I feel like that. I don't know that. I feel like that's kind of the sweet spot. Maybe I don't know for sure. Yeah. But uh, it probably doesn't have a lot of fault tolerance. Like if something does go wrong, like you said, there's not you know there's not a a, a big record label there to 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 help you fall. Yeah, if you do. I'm not sure how much they ever help anybody fall anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, we're it's it's we're in control of all of it. I, I, I mean, we just um, I guess we redefined what success is mm. off and on yeah. as we've gone through this. We just kept lowering the bar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I told a girl uh, uh, one time that didn't want to date me. I told her she just needed to lower her standards a little bit. And sure, it'll all work out. What's the problem? We've been married eight and a half years. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> Uh, but you guys did, uh, and I don't know, when did you, when did you start, when did you get married and, and start uh, making the music together? Is it late nineties or? Yeah. Our 97 is when we got married. Okay. Back in the 1900s. 1897. <laughs> We've been married 25 years and COVID, wow. COVID, you know, caused everybody to lose a year. We had always planned to do some kind of fun trip or something for our 25th anniversary and we forgot it was 25 years it mm. rolled up in april and we went i did 20 23 <laughs> good man i didn't if you had i said at that day i said hey you know that uh today's our 25th anniversary by the way oh my god i didn't know <laughs> so i got the blue check mark on that one yeah. good job. Yes. <laughs> verified husband right yes there. but you guys got, was the first that was the biggest thing that that kind of the biggest success thing the the Merle Fest competition deal for you guys was that the thing that kind of put you on the map? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When was that? Two two thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Actually, you guys been writing and making music together three or four years at that point, right? Well, I think we started behind the barn at the original Barley's in nineteen ninety eight because we did the French Holler Festival, right? So like. We started working with WDVX pretty early pretty on. Pretty early on. We got them. married in 97, and we I was already DJing for WDVX. Mm. And we had a little music store. Then we started doing this live concert series there, and then we entered Merle Fest. And I've, I've been supporting – we've been supporting ourselves through my, my full-time teaching. Jeff was teaching for a while, mm-hmm. and then gigs, but then – yeah, trying to trying to like be the creative part of it, not just doing cover songs, but writing songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, winning Merle Fest was like, okay, we need to keep on with this. And was that one that you had written the lyrics and melody? To, we both did. You both wrote it right, together. Okay. Right. But uh, so so you were you? I remember you playing a bunch of Tom T. Hall songs and a bunch of a bunch yeah. of those covers. But you guys were trying to get more uh, get that stuff kind of out of the rotation and and make and do more original music probably so, more so back then but now we're kind of embracing well we've always embraced you know tr- uh, covers good good cover songs yeah um so what was the what was the merle fest thing though because i've heard of that festival it's a festival right yeah, yeah. it's a uh, merle watson memorial festival Do- doc watson festival a lot of people think of it that way it's in wilkesboro north carolina on mm. the campus of um wilkes community college 
Yeah. And now it supports like all these scholarships, but it's like the Super Bowl of Americana bluegrass music. Yeah. You can think of it that way. Um, the last time that I went, there were 30,000 people there, and now it's like well over 100,000 attendees. It's, wow. It's yeah, between crazy. that and the Telluride Festival, those yeah. were probably the two big original. Yeah, yeah. like bluegrass, roots Americana, music. Yeah. Newport, know. maybe. Yeah, Newport that's a folk right. festival. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like by this much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we say it's... Well, you'd have more... Jam- at, at Telluride and Merlefest, you'd have more of the, you know, your your jam band stuff mixed in there, too. Sure. You know. Um, yeah, that tell you ride. You get the leftover salmons and right. the uh, string cheese incident, right. and you get a stuff. little of that at Merle Fest too. Yeah, but you also get Larry Sparks and the Lonesome Ramblers and uh, Doc Watson to start. You know, before he passed away, was the anchor of the festival. Wow. Um, some really traditional stuff. Um, but yeah, they did. They I think they quit doing that songwriting contest, the did Chris they? Austin songwriting contest. But we entered um, the gospel division. And the judges were Jesse Winchester, Jim Lauderdale. And Gillian Welch, right? Gillian Welch. Wow. And they had you know, all these different categories, but that's that we just had this particular song that we thought might have a chance. And boy, we have milked that for all it's worth. Really? We're still talking about it all this time later. <laughs> Good. I mean, there are I mean, there's moments in your there's moments in your career that are defining moments yeah. and worth leaning on a little bit, yeah. I feel like. And when you get to play in front of because you got to perform the perform some right. songs there right. at the festival. Yeah, right. there was probably that's that was that was the last year we were there, and there were thirty thousand people in attendance. And at the stage that we performed on, no, we ended up performing on because we won. We did the one stage for the contest, and then we pl- played on the cabin stage for the main big main audience. Right. It's very cool. Is that, is that the biggest crowd you played for? Might be. I played yeah. now. There's a festival, just a fiddle contest in Mount uh, Galax, Virginia, called um, What's the Galax Festival? Mm. And there's a hundred thousand people at that. And before I met Jeff, actually, I, I I went and did that fiddle contest, and I played in front of that audience. Wow. It, that's uh, something else. Galax and Mount Airy, those are amazing experiences. Is is that the instrument that got you going, or did you start out with a guitar in your hand, or? When I was in seventh grade, I took guitar lessons and I learned this, you know, that's where I found out I could sing. Mm. Um, but I was going to nursing school and I was, you know, hanging out with my boyfriend at the time um, who was, he played um, me this Bill Monroe box CD set. I just fell in love with the fiddle and I couldn't go back to school for one year. I didn't get my grant. I didn't apply for my grant. I was mm. not good at the getting paperwork in on time. At the admin side of... I did not get that done in time, so I was going to have to take a year off, and I was just fooling around. But I, I heard that box set and of CDs. This is back before yeah. streaming. Uh, and I just, it wasn't cassettes at that point. I know. Oh, come on, Jeff. Phonograph. Um, <laughs> I just felt... It just took my life over. I went and signed up for... Um, I bought a fiddle and signed up for lessons that next Monday, and... Then eight months later, my teacher, Marty Kaufman, decided she was going to move out of state and do some other things. And she couldn't find anybody to teach 10 little kids. And she said, I think you can do this. So I sat in on her lessons for about two months, just kind of training. And I went from there. I started with 10 the first month. And by the end of the second month, I had 20. And it's all I've ever done since is teach 
teach music. So you got into it that quickly to where you'd just been doing it for a short while, yeah. but you were already good enough to teach it kids how to do it? took my life over. That's I cool. love the fiddle. And I also, it's the most humbling thing ever. I call it the screech plank because it sounds terrible. But yeah, it's it's the love of my life. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're off the hook, Jeff. Well, you yeah. would, I'll I take a have, second to the screech plank. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have you if it wasn't for the screech plank. That's true. Well, you wouldn't have your screech plank if it wasn't for me. That's true. Not that particular one. My engagement gift. Instead of a ring, fiddle. I bought her a fiddle. Nice. And it's beautiful. I, I, I play I, it to this day. It's my <clears throat> main instrument. I mean, I think screech plank is, um, it, it, I feel like you, that's for the banjo, like that kind of <laughs> crass name. You know, you got to, the, the banjo gets a hard time already. You know, the, yeah, the yeah. fiddle is such a beautiful instrument. When, my my father-in-law always describes he uses different different like personification of different instruments and he's in he's the most you know he's just a poignant speaker but he anyway he uh he says that that to him the violin uh is the music of the heart like it it mm -hmm. it is the closest thing to the heart the saxophone's the sexy saxophone it's out there it's all out front you know peacocking and the, but the you know the the fiddle or the or the the violin is 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 the heart of me, and it's just such a sweet instrument. It can be very expressive. It can be very much like the human voice. It's mm. it can sing on its own. It can be yeah. a ry rhythmic thing too, but it's very expressive. But when when they're getting started, it's not the most awesome thing in the whole world. Yeah, it's very humbling. Yeah, I think there was a uh, there was a, uh, a scene in the in the Measured in Labor play where I was supposed to play a. Oh, yeah. a walk out learning how to play the fiddle and yep. that was yeah i feel like that's uh, something that many people have have experienced as a family member trying to learn how to play the screech plank sure yeah that's why i gave up you know i tried to, i think i was 16 or 17 i was out in my little car his parents his I mom know, I was so, in the house yeah I, had to, I was so bad i had to go out in this little <laughs> 84 86 centra roll the window down and stick the bow out the window and screech along, trying to. They ran me out of the house. So I'm like, the hell with this. After like six months, it's got hot. I'm, I'm like, I'm not gonna pay for the air conditioning while this thing runs. Plus, you couldn't do your bow arm the right way, and you're bowing like Popeye. <laughs> really, good to get it in between the seats. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, they're right. I suck at this thing. It's a, it, it is a beautiful instrument. I've always, you know, and there's so many different ways that you can play it. I mean, you hear orche orchestral music with it, but then. Appalachia took it and made it a different, or bluegrass music took it and made it a mm -hmm. completely different sound. That is, for some reason, I don't know if it's, um, I don't know if it's like uh, hereditary or because of my family lineage, but it is the perfect instrument for my ears when I hear bluegrass music played on a violin. Great. It doesn't, get, yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. No, and I didn't even discover it until around WDVX, honestly, when mm -hmm. when it. Right. I don't know. When did they leave the, the camper and, and kind of do a brick and mortar thing? Because I remember when it happened, now you could hear bluegrass music on the radio yeah, in Knoxville. Yeah, it was a big deal. You couldn't before then. Right. And it was a very community. Such a big deal. We can't remember when connected. it was. It was, no, it was the <laughs> year. It was in when we were dating in 1996. Um, <clears throat> right when we started opening our music store, Tony Lawson, before they even had a camper, they put a 100 CD disc Holder, I thought changer. you were talking about when did it go downtown? Or yeah, well, come out yeah, of the camper? Yeah, when, yeah, but 
but but I remember I, they may have still been in the camper when I when I when they had enough wattage for me to catch it in West Knoxville. I remember, you know, so, <laughs> the I camper. I think it was that, after two thousand. Yeah, really? Yeah. <clears throat> they got invited to be the city. You know, the um, what's the name of that building they're in? The, the, the Welcome, Welcome Center. Center. Yeah. City, city Knox- of Knoxville. Yeah, moved yeah. them. Visit Knox. It is now it used to be Knoxville Tourism and Sports Corporation. Right. right. Yeah. They uh, moved visit them. Knox. Gave them the opportunity to move from a camper in a campground in Norris to downtown Knoxville, where they do the blue plate special now. Right there on prime, you know, prime real estate right there on the corner. It doesn't get any better. Is that where the blue plate has been always? They they didn't have a blue plate till they Mm. moved there. I have seen some amazing, amazingly intimate concerts in that little space right there Mm -hmm. for free at noon. Yep. Yep. We've got an. We're actually. One of our first shows coming back up was going to be a blue plate. Yeah, we're playing really? the big plate at Barley's. The, the big plate. Yeah. So they do a big plate on Fridays? Yeah. Every Friday? Every Friday. That's great. It's like whoever they have, it, it, you don't split the bill. You play the whole hour. and then you Which know, I may need a nap in between. I mean, <laughs> you're I'm not used to a whole hour. <laughs> in between sets. Yeah, yeah, I may break it up into 220s where it give me a little break there, you know. Well, so it's I, such a cool show because you do, you know, there's the opportunity to get to know the musicians a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys run out of stuff to talk about on there yet? Are you having to recycle any of your material? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> you guys we have been on do. it so many times, right? Yeah, well, we, had it, we took a break from um, participating with WDVX because we were working with another radio station. Mm. Behind the Barn with WDVX ended around 2004, and then we, didn't, we weren't on the radio. We were just you know, piddling around. Jeff was playing in Gatlinburg, teaching. <laughs> we were doing some gigs. Um, I can tell you all about that sometime. But then we got the opportunity to work with, um, <laughs> with Barley's in Maryville. They opened up their Maryville location. And wanted to do something with WFIV over that way. And so we were, it was like, where's, where's the line between, uh, we work for this other radio station, but we're going to go promote these WDVX things. Mm. So we kind of laid low. We still did a few things for them. Um, we just weren't real sure how to make that work. But we've always loved DVX. They've always been great to us. And, you know, since the bigger, they helped. I mean, if it wasn't really, honestly, they were a major component of, of, what we've been able to do yeah you know with our career we would not be sitting here probably with you if it wasn't for dvx being a component of some variable you know it's not, you know you go back and you look uh, this led to this this led to this you know and yeah. just so on and so forth kind of the and then the butterfly and, effect. yeah and it's absolutely so they were a large part of that i feel like they have done a, a great job of supporting the you know supporting local artists and and the community and really being champions of the folks around here who rely on music to make a living. And <clears throat> it has also become a little bit of a beacon to where, you know, the, the folks who may be a little bit more recognizable, like the, like the Jim Lauderdale's of the right. world who are, yeah. you know, out there. I mean, I'm sure he's a, a friend of the station and no, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so people, people kind of see this WDVX, kind of beacon and and see that it is kind of representative of a large a large community of very talented musicians in in this region and it's sure. very important i feel like well and what's cool about them too is you know you may have jim lauderdale on one time one day and then you know for like a blue plate for example and then the next day it may be somebody local Who's yeah. awesome. The, you know, yeah. who's great. They're just giving. Sisters of the Silver Sage you know, or R.B. Morris. We've got or, so many, you know, East Tennessee's just flooded with talent. Yeah. And I think it's, it's um, 
That's a cool. That's let me try to put this into words because I, I actually said all this when I was applying for this fellowship that I got awarded in 20, 2021. I got a South Arts traditional master folk artist. <laughs> oh, it's hard for me to on, say man. that out loud, but um, I was awarded that. Um, but I think being able to go out when you've worked really hard or you're having a bad day and go go find somewhere where somebody's sitting in the corner playing some music. You don't have to spend a whole lot of money. Um, that's important to have that. That's a good release for people. Mm. Um, so I, I, I said I'm the local music practitioner, like some kind of therapist or something. <laughs> um, well, you you did the uh, – you're kind of the, the – the, I don't know if it's an open mic or what it was, the, the jams that you guys did down at um, the Jig and Reel. I mean, mm-hmm. you were down there for a oh, while. I'm still there every You're Tuesday. Still there. That's yeah. an old, that's a, an old, old time open jam, wow. and I've been doing it for ten years. And some of the folks have been coming the whole ten years, and it's like almost like church in a way. We all have our assigned seats, really, but we have people that come in and out. People that just kind of are are passing through Knoxville that stop in, and yeah, it's it's really cool. It's it can be chaotic uh, trying to manage twenty people playing music all at all the same time and Good sometimes old-fashioned it, cluster plot yeah it sounds like you know somebody's throwing a box of silverware down the stairs <laughs> and sometimes it turns out just fantastic really but it's um it's it's really special what is it like to lead something like that how do you how do you do it when you have varying levels of of talent and i'm sure you're playing traditional songs and yeah. you know chord changes that pretty much you know in beginners can do yeah there's, there's a, a set there's like a, a bunch of standards yeah there's yeah i don't know how many but it's this this is true of of this kind of music in little pockets all over the country you can go find things kind of like this mm-hmm. um the playing all together at the same time is a little different for this particular Knoxville area. That's the old time way. Nobody goes off of Texas solo. It's about playing. Um, it's dance music. Mm. Whereas the bluegrass jams are, you know, little groups of five people here, five people here, five people there. They're uh. all doing their little ensemble thing. Um, I had to figure this out as I went. This this was Jenny Boyd's idea. My friend Jenny Boyd, really? who is the owner of the pub. She was one of my students back before she ever had this this venue and um i always called her a chicken picker because i couldn't get her to go to the other jams around and, and that's a real p- important part of learning the place get to the point where you can play with other people and uh she'll she will tell you she was a chicken picker i actually put together a group of my students just to jam with me to kind of guide them so they wouldn't feel intimidated by going mm. someplace like rocky branch or buttermilk road um that was my chicken pickers group. All right, so Jenny was part of that. <laughs> then she goes to uh, Scotland on a trip and goes to a pub where they were all sitting around doing what we are doing now, kind of like what we do now at the Jig and Reel. Everybody played at the same time, so nobody feels like they're on the spot. Yeah. It's a cumulative, collaborative thing. And come and, and go as you please, yeah. figure it out as you go. Yeah. And then um, she came home and they bought the pub and she said, I want to do something like that. So I had wow. to go in with that mindset. So I do. I, we have some rules that are published on the Internet, but I, I, we sit in a circle and I call on everybody one at a time um, to make sure that everybody gets a chance to pick a song they like. And I try to encourage 
you know, not to, I, man, it's a mess. I, I don't let, um, no, no percussion instruments. It's mm. just strings only. Um, it's, I don't know how I do it. It's different every week. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how she does it either. And then, you know, probably, one, I don't know, but once every, what, at least a month, I'm sure you have some jackass, you know, drunk there wanting to do wagon wheel, you know. Yeah. Just or some, asking for a wagon wheel. Asking, you know. It, I, I wonder how much of that, like, I almost call it like dress up bluegrass or dress up folk uh culture i mean oh yeah has you know what i mean people who want to look the part but <laughs> right it's not really you know it's 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 bluegrass cosplay it's exactly right <laughs> yeah. that's that's what i mean and and it gets a hard time from purists a little bit and even like the i don't know even the like uh uh garcia and grisman stuff like gets a little bit of a, a hard time i think for being a little you know a little bit away from traditional bluegrass but still oh, calling itself bluegrass my yeah. goodness we could really go down this this rabbit hole here Our, um he's talking about the different what what's real bluegrass jeff what is real bluegrass <laughs> uh, oh yeah put me on the spot on that one um people so we know what it is we know when we hear it we love it we also love all the little offshoots of it yeah but there are definitely some purists and we call those people grass holes mm-hmm yeah and I love some of those people. Yeah, some of the most man, talented people on the planet. What sure. a at what a box to put the music in. Mm -hmm. and, and if I, that's your gig, if you're really good at that, awesome. But there's nothing wrong with a drummer with a bluegrass band, and there's nothing wrong with a harmonica. Um, yeah, the dobro well, was, was just was recently controversial at first. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. And it was just recently, I mean, honestly, in the last 20, 30 years, it's been all right to have a, a girl in the band. Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's a novelty thing. And it's wow. not its not this ancient form. Bluegrass is. Um, and when I it, say girl, I mean, quote, unquote, there, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's the way he's yeah, I got that girl fiddle player, you know. I'm like, yeah. well, okay. So. Oh, yeah. There's definitely. What's your point some, there? Yeah. <laughs> some of that. Yeah. She's a hell of a fiddle player. So. Yeah. But the bluegrass music itself is not this ancient art form. It has. It has some um, roots that it draws upon, mm. the Scotch-Irish blues, definitely. But it's it's just, uh, it's as recent as rock and roll music. Right. Yes. And it, it, was it was it really born in, in, in Appalachia and bluegrass, or in, in the bluegrass state? Was it really born in, in Kentucky? And Bill Monroe gets all the credit, and he's yeah. definitely an innovator. He's, I would definitely call him the father of bluegrass. There were other people around that were... You know, maybe, maybe riffing on what he was doing, or or maybe and he, he was, kind of evolved too. I mean, he started. You know, he had more of an. He didn't have a three finger, or like a three finger roll banjo player when he mm -mm. first started. You know, he no, had that's a, the Earl Scruggs. Earl Scruggs came on the scene. Earl afterwards. Scruggs is the one that you know came to Bill Monroe along with Lester Flat, and once they hit with Bill Monroe, they of course splintered off and became Flat and Scruggs but they brought the whole sound and, and morphed it into what we know now as and that was what about 1946 was when that yeah. lineup happened wow and that's when you really hear what we call uh, you know purists uh, you know whatever purists are what they might call traditional blue, quote unquote bluegrass which mm -hmm. is an upright bass upright mandolin bass. guitar three finger style banjo and um, maybe a fiddle and maybe a fiddle right so fiddle's optional Oh yeah, okay. And you, three part harmony or singing, fiddle or a, you know a optional. You between the two, probably fiddle or mandolin. Mm. You know because they are tuned the same. Yeah. 
But uh, the mandolin has, it's there for the driving of the rhythm right. of it. The mandolin's yeah. essential. So it's, it's the part that gives you the train. Yeah. So we're already getting on off on this tangent about <laughs> see to... how we can split hairs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. People, people do. So so when you had Bill Monroe in this in this bluegrass uh, kind of invent, wasn't it called Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys? Yeah. Was that the name of right. his band? Yeah. So it probably had something to do with the name of his band that, that named the yeah. name the genre. Definitely. Then right, sure. sure. But this was right around the time you also had like probably Hank Senior. Was he yeah. still he? So he was making yeah, they were making, contemporaries. Yeah, so he's making country music, what mm-hmm. we now call you know, old time country music, sure. I guess. At that at that time, so but that was that what what was popular then in the kind of Americana uh, roots world is the kind of stuff that that um, that Hank senior was doing was he doing something that had already been done before and then you had this bill monroe guy over here that was like what is this that i've never heard before hank was no hank kind of he built on you know he left you for you know earlier not left you um, jimmy rogers and all that yeah. stuff so um i think country had kind of started back in you know in, in that bristol area with jimmy rogers and all that all mm. those and folk, the carter, uh, family. carter family and all yeah. that and that was kind of like Jimmy Rogers wasn't bluegrass, but it, he was a big influence on bluegrass. Right. What became and, bluegrass. And, of course and an influence the, the, on Hank Sr., I'm sorry. The Carter family, they were more of a, I mean, it's kind of all morphed all at the same time together. Yeah. You know, bluegrass and, and country of that, you know, it all kind of yeah, came like together at the same time. Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family, and then the next generation of that is the Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys and, and Hank Sr. Hank Sr., yeah. So. And was that stuff kind of born out of the blues a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Like the, 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 the howling wolves of the world and, and guys like that. Bill Monroe learned to play music at the feet of a man who was born a slave, and I am not rem- remembering his name. He, right. give, he, would, he did give him some credit as he talked about you know, where he learned to play from. There's with some the sky. Fl- I can't remember his name, and that's a shame. I need to fix that. I've looked on YouTube and seen some of these these um, I don't know if it's Delta Blues, what it was, but these just you know black black guys who were descendants of slaves, sure, who are who are playing guitar for you know all white crowds and mm-hmm. and had no idea how how much of an impact they would have at that moment with the kind of music they were making is kind of still is super stigmatized i'm sure you know it's still america was was still very segregated at that point right and you had these guys that were you know singing for their supper make playing music to entertain the white folks and became the one of the most you know and important musical the, th- things that happened and at the time got completely screwed by the record labels that were you know just paid them nothing yeah but you know nothing to them was something you know they were really wrecking in you know they called it race music and then yeah. they'd have their their white artists cover their of songs they would yeah, yeah appropriate they would their music keep all the royalties and you know yeah, of course awful but, yeah yeah well I, I i think it's very fascinating that in the the mid-1900s there's this this bluegrass type of music that that started to happen that we now know it you know 70 years later is what it is it's still it's probably more popular than ever now yeah. it seems like uh it's still it 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 felt almost like it in the in the late 1900s <laughs> it's weird to uh-huh. say that it kind of dipped into like this novelty kind of territory yeah and then became you know came out the other end being like a legitimate popular form of music but i I'll, something that i've always wondered about is like where do jazz and bluegrass meet up? Where do they come together? Because it seems like, although they're very different styles of music, that the approaches from 
in in the way songs are composed and performed you find improvisation you know pretty heavy in both of those definitely and most of your really good bluegrass bluegrass pickers can pick some jazz too really uh-huh so i know they sound different but like I, i've always wondered where this this kind of it seems like they're they're first cousins to me for some reason well i mean like for you know who tony rice is yeah. of course or was was yeah. um i mean he he Loved to listen to John Coltrane and all. He was a huge jazz fan. Yeah. And he made all these records that all, it was all instrumental records and all the songs he wrote, they were, you know, um, like he called it a, like and him, him and David Grissom were kind of doing it at the same time there. Yeah. And he also played with Dave, David Grissom and Quintet. Mm. But Tony made a whole bunch of solo records that were, um, you know, dog, you know, quote unquote dog music. Yeah. Or, I don't um, think Tony called it that. He but, didn't call yeah. it dog music. Uh, space grass. That's what he called yeah, it. Space, space grass. Were, were they in, was it New Riders of the Purple Sage? Were, or was there another another band that they were in together? The Pizza Tapes, right? Right. That's that's Grisman Garcia and Tony Rice, isn't yeah. it? Right. Well, we need to put that on the playlist for the ride home. <laughs> the Pizza Tapes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it just hit me. But Tony was doing that at the same time. Um, he was doing his traditional bluegrass music. Mm. So he would put out uh, a straight up bluegrass record and then he'd turn right around and put out a jazz, his, you know, space grass. Um, and it basically, it probably, most of the time it'd be the same band, you know, but they'd be doing totally different things, That's, you know, on the, the same instruments. Mm. But I guess the, the things that overlap about them are um, the emphasis on improvisation and virtuosity. Mm, yeah, and laying and laying down a groove. Yeah, that you can't. How do you define what is laying down a groove? Well, we know it when we hear it, but it's it's a whole different, <laughs> you you know, thing. Being able to communicate with other people and without talking, and staying and, ahead of the beat. I mean, they played a little bit ahead of the beat, you know. Yeah, and they'd slow the beat, but be, play behind the beat when everybody was moving together. Man, they were tied at the hip rhythmically, you know. And now, I love when you can see. In both of those, in both of those types of music, bluegrass and jazz, there's nothing better than to see it get just get passed around. It's just yeah, it's the most beautiful it thing. It is. Everybody gets gets everybody sure. gets a shot at it. <laughs> there's an energy exchange, and it happens with the band and also with the audience. And yes. this goes back to the thing that I was talking about earlier about how it's. In, I think it's it's great to have live music to for people to just go be a part of to be in the room while. While the air is being moved, while the sure. while singer is singing, while the, the the vibrations are coming from the instrument, there's the energy exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the sound waves are moving the air, and and it's bouncing off. I mean, the 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 people. Have, I've heard plenty of bands say that you know, especially during the pandemic, like it, even though they were playing these live streams with a full band and playing for a crowd, it was obviously a very, very different experience mm-hmm. than being able to play off of the the energy. You know, mm-hmm. read the room and see what they need. Yeah, absolutely. See and, what they're feeling. And then, you know, and then you get this and when you get the, to the improvisation world, then you start to really there's there's a whole big jam band rabbit hole that mm-hmm. of, you know, and, and some of it's rooted in bluegrass. You've got the Yonder Mountain String Bands, mm-hmm. Railroad Earth, um, the uh, uh, I mean, I, I'd almost put like Steep Canyon Rangers yeah. and that kind of stuff in in that category. And that stuff, you know, it it. It is very interactive with a crowd, and mm-hmm. and and it's just and what I was saying with them just passing it around and everybody getting to take a break on something. Um, you just you 
you can tell when the when it, when whatever if it's Andy Hall on the Dobro, you can tell when he starts feeling it from the crowd, and mm-hmm. the, the crowd's egging him on, and it gets faster, and it gets and it faster, feeds off, it, it becomes a cycle, yeah. That, yeah. And by the time it gets to the next guy, it's that fast already, and he's yeah. got to do something. Yeah, and then they're out doing each other on yeah. how hot of a yeah. solo they're taking. Yeah, it's it doesn't get any better than that for 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 my money, man. Yeah. It's, no. it's it, it's got to be the best feeling in the world to be a part of that as a musician too. Mm-hmm. What are some of the what are some of the most special music moments that you guys have had, whether it's together or apart? I'm sure the Merle Fest thing that we talked about, but like a moment where you just got to kind of pinch yourself. Dang, there's been a bunch, really. Um, when Jonathan Bird played behind the barn, yeah, and I got up to sing backup okay. harmony. They yeah. asked me to get up there. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I'm. A, I don't feel like I'm a real hot fiddle player. Mm. So I don't, I don't have too many experiences where I, I feel like I've just ripped off a solo. Right. Just, I'm no, I'm not a face melter. Right. I set the groove, or I, yeah. and I like to play pretty things that that move the heart. Right. I'm better at that. Um. Gosh, there's so many. I was thinking of one, uh, going back to the Actors Co-op, we were doing a play after the one you were in. um, Marasad? Yeah, Marasad. That was a weird thing for us to do. What was it? What is the I name was of that? Gonna, let me, before okay. we preface this, uh, okay. we opened for Nancy Griffith. Oh, yeah. At the Bijou, and that was really cool. Oh, cool. Um, but what was weird about it is like a bummer because we couldn't get the – we wanted to – and Nancy, after we are coming off stage, and Nancy says, oh, great, we want to meet you, you know, a lot. And I got to meet Tom, and we were still friends, Tom. her guitar player and producer at the time. We still huh. – we've written a bunch of songs together. So, But we had to bolt because we had to go straight immediately and held up the play – just so we could do this opening slot. <laughs> That's super sweet. For Nancy there. Griffith. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And where was the show? At the Bijou. Okay. And the actors pl- uh, co-op, co-op play was at... Um, Ironworks. The Ironworks co- over there in Happy Holler yeah. where Preston Fairbow. Yeah. Um, that's that's where we did the play. And it was about um, inmates in an insane asylum during the French Revolution, including the Marquis de Sade. <laughs> And that was Greg Congleton played that. <laughs> so we had, and we were we were insane musicians. And I was. So I'll have to send you some pictures. It was crazy. It. And it was. I it was remember, like, man. It was like a hundred degrees that day, man. And um, yeah, that shop doesn't have uh, no good good AC so either. Out, and so we're like busting ass to get from the Bijou down to there, and they're holding up the show. So we get in the car, and I'm like. All right, open the glove compartment. There's a bottle of Maker's Mark in there. So I hit it, you know, pretty hard <laughs> for big swallow. And I pulled into the uh, Ironworks place, and we got to strip down naked and getting all this uh, uh, crazy garb on. And, there, you know, and put, yeah, rags. We had our clothes to look like inmate rags. Yeah, and... like we're insane inmates, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, boy, I. Yeah, I feel just like that. Right? I'm I'm on tonight. <laughs> Little method acting. Bring it. I'm in the zone for this one. So yeah, That's pinch me that we got to meet Nancy Griffith, but we didn't get to hear her play. Oh, really? Oh. Gosh, there are so many, but the Drunk Uncles, that band that he was yeah. in, that man, I used to just love to listen to them. That's yeah. that was a lot of fun. That's enjoying the groove I, kind I of band. I missed a lot of that because I was in, I think I was in LA at the time because you guys had started that kind of right after, kind of right around the time, early mid two thousand, early to yeah. mid two thousands kind yeah. of deal. Yeah, um, 
man, that was, I've listened to it. I listened to, I had uh, Mike McGill on the show and I, I, oh, I did, did, did my homework and listened to a bunch of drunk uncle stuff, I think, and out there. I don't know how I got a hold of it. Is there's it on only still? actually one record that's, there's only, we only made one well, maybe record. Maybe I was listening to Barstool Romeo's. Well, you? I mean, there's yeah. a bunch of YouTube clips too, yeah. as far as the drunk uncles. Yeah. But they, 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 when you put that album out, it was on CD Baby, and they didn't even have the option to do the digital distribution. Distribution oh, at really? the time, yeah. it was that far, yeah, away. Yeah. I mean, uh, that far back in time. Well, I always called you Uncle Jeff. Sure. So it was good that you were in that you were in a you know a drunk uncle's band with yeah. my uncle Mike. Yeah, you know? it was <laughs> just kind of that was kind of you know we that whole thing grew from us riding around and we called it Tom T Tuesdays. Uh, Mike got off on Tuesday Tuesday evenings or early Tuesday evening and stopped by the house and we'd grab a case of beer and uh well, this <laughs> and break the law break, the, break law the law and drive you know drive around and we caught it you know especially during the summer if you know what the gloam of the day is you know that's the out you know right before the sun goes down and it's that pretty just pink haze yeah, the magic hour yeah the gloam of the day i love it and we would go out gloaming you know and just drink beer and <laughs> we called it tom t tuesday we'd you know listen to tom t and we listen to merle haggard and you know jerry lee lewis and just and hang bur- out with your drunk uncle kenneth Dye. yeah he lived up the road and we you know i was like well we'll call this the drunk uncles we'll start this band we'll all we'll That's do great. is just play this stuff oh it's fun man and we you know uh, uh, finally uh, evolved into what I thought was cool about the band is we had three lead singers mm-hmm. and everybody sang in their own way. And it was like, you know, adding variety to the whole thing. Yeah. It's not, and everybody uh, had their own gig, yeah. you know, that's fun. Yeah. And then, and then at the, right around the same time, I want to get through all of your musical kind of outfits that you've been okay. in because you, um, uh, we're in a group as well, Sarah. Three piece, right? Yeah, uh, the Naughty Knots. The Naughty Knots, mm-hmm. and that st- was that around the same time as the Drunk Uncle. That's a little later. A little later. Um, started off with uh, Griffin Van and Trisha Jean Brady, mm-hmm. and uh, then Griffin's sister moved back from uh, going to college to play the bass. And yeah, we're just playing just regional, and we're still Trisha Jean left to go be in the Black Lilies. Yeah. Um, but you know Griffin's a nurse, and Millie is Millie is the uh, she's an equestrian coach. She was at Sewanee. Mm. Millie lives in Virginia now, and so we're not we're not gigging. But Griffin and I are still gigging as much as we can. She's got two little boys that are awesome. age six and seven, and so it's baseball time in her life. Yeah. So well, that's great that you can kind of tailor your, tailor it to. It doesn't take over your life completely. Right. The, mu- the music world, you can kind of do it as as it, as it works for. For other people, I always see like Billy Strings. I saw these, you know, saw him at the whatever it was, the Civic Auditorium, I think. Yeah. First off, those guys are printing money because they're loading. Uh, they don't have any gear. <laughs> I mean, it all fits. The tr- they don't have a drummer. They don't bring, you know. Yeah. They got some amp stacks and all that. Uh, but then I looked at how much they were touring and I'm like, man, that is a commitment. That is yeah. a commitment. And mm-hmm. I guess you got to do it. I guess you got to make hay while the sun's shining yeah. and get out there. If you've well, got an opportunity to go big time, he's been yeah. doing this for a long time. It was just him, you yeah. know, slogging in a van. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's definitely paid his dues and it's definitely an extremely talented person. <laughs> oh, Lord, man. Oh, it's amazing. It's, yes, it it is. The whole did you see the Bob Weir uh had at the played at the Ryman and Bob Weir played a whole set 
of dead covers at the Billy, Billy String show was oh. two weeks ago. Pretty crazy. Well, what are some other so some of the other outfits? Because the last time I saw you, Sarah, on stage, it was at the Bijou. Um, were you playing with the Red Shoes and Rosin game? Uh, no, gals, I played with them. You... Um, so there was a little thing with Matt Morlock and Leah Gardner and Josh Sidman for a while. The Made Right String Band was yeah. also going on right before the Naughty Knots happened. And this mm. just little this just local bands. We yeah. never did you know try to tour much or any or try to play much outside the region yeah um, made right string band that's an awesome name for band by yeah, the way yeah yeah it's pretty fun yeah i bet and then and then the, i guess was the romeo's next for you jeff after the, i wasn't it you weren't in the Romeos. no that was mike and my brother-in-law andy ah, andy that's, that's where i got andy mixed Perkle. up is the purple name yeah my yeah. brother is in that band <laughs> i still hadn't met your brother oh wow yeah. i don't see how you've avoided him I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, it's kind of like covid you know yeah. no it's avoid- not like that <laughs> He's, but it's like everything is, is like five degrees of andy yeah. for me yeah, i mean i was everybody. on the radio for all this time when he was not playing music he was working in restaurants and everywhere i went people went perkle are you do you know andy perkle so yeah he's famous he's yeah. he's a he's very much a character yeah he's he a, he's great well i saw so. him at the christmas spectacular and i yeah. uh, saw him perform and that was the first time i really ever put a name with a face yeah honestly and with a beard name, name with a beard yeah, yeah name with a beard yeah <laughs> yeah i like his look for oh, sure he's worked many years on that look yes all the way around <laughs> and he would love that <laughs> well uh have we have we missed any big stuff i know that, that you know uh music has been a huge part of your guys lives and then you know i jeff i feel like you getting on the the amy klobuchar train was kind of yeah. uh was kind of uh, I know that stuff's important to you. I know that you kind of want to make a make a difference, s- seemingly with the uh, you know kind of local politics and things right. like that, and to be able to to make moves. But um, is there anything like that going on with your passion of yours? Uh, no, um, no. Glen County Community Action Agency. Yeah, I, I did run for county commission in 2018 uh, and lost, but because of that, I, I made a lot of connections on, on the. Which is really what I wanted to do was work, you know, as a commissioner, I just wanted to represent my county. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of got hooked up by not winning. I'm able to sit on the board of the Blunt County Community Action Agency, which is the umbrella group for uh, our local Meals on Wheels, mm. uh, Smiles, which provides uh, low-income rides to, for folks getting dialysis or just yeah. their groceries. Um, Anna Meals. Anna Meals on Wheels. We just started, uh, Linda just started that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Feeding the pets of people. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we would deliver meals to folks and, you know, a lot of the old folks that have their little critter, you know, a little, little uh, rockier, yeah. you know, out macho, or there always be some little <laughs> tiny dog and he have this little, you know, manly man name, you know, <laughs> Spike. There's a bit good one, Spike. Um, but Linda found out that some of these folks were sharing their meals. They were getting from Meals on Wheels the, with the yeah. pets. So now there's pet food provided and vet care. That's awesome. Absolutely. And cool. that's all through the, what's the name of the committee again? Blunt, the, uh, Blunt County Community Action Agency. Agency. Right. And it's actually turns 50 years old this year in Blunt County. It's been around for 50 years. And it comes out of the uh, Linda B. Johnson the, uh, program that started up uh, local community action agencies around the country. That's, so. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to make a difference. And it seems like you have a, 
a passion for it. And that's yeah. and it's your community that you grew up in. Right. And, you still and live I, in. I plan on dying there, you yeah. know, so. They're going to be bringing us Meals on Wheels. Yeah. You're just paying it forward right I'm now. I'm trying to. <laughs> and Meals on Wheels, I just want to make this a little aside. It's for everybody. It's you could. It, there's a sliding scale from zero to a very still not much of a charge. But we delivered meals to little trailers where you know we could tell somebody needed to come by on a regular basis and look after somebody. Mm-hmm. To um, there was a doctor, retired doctor. He and his wife over um, in. West Maryville. West Maryville in a beautiful home that they built in the 50s, and they were to the point they needed somebody to bring them some food. Mm. And they were so happy to get—they were great. I mean, they love it. It's one yeah. of the things that helped them stay in their home. That's great. And That's another, another part of this about, you know, uh, there's a statistic that just came out. Uh, one in four of the folks that we deliver or Mills on Wheels delivers food to, that's their own, only visitor. Wow. Mm-hmm. The person one in four people. One in four wow. people. You get you get hung up there a lot talking talking to folks. Y- we would, you know, Good. absolutely. <laughs> that's know, part of the gig. It's part yeah. of the, you know, if we didn't stop, I mean, that's, yeah, it's part of the gig, man. Yeah. And we'd know their little dog's names, like Spike. Mm-hmm. I remember that's where that's a real name, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's where that came from. Um but you know, just make these folks day, you know. Not always. I mean, there's these folks don't sometimes they don't feel good. Sure, they don't yeah. they don't you know, some crabby people, another, that's okay. Yeah. And, right. you know, there's another, you know, important part of Meals on Wheels is, you know, it provides a, a social welfare welfare check, you know, as far as checking up on folks. Right. You know. Yeah. And um, ma- making sure, a little eyeball test, make sure they're yeah. doing okay. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a reality check for the people who are doing the delivery. And I wish, Absolutely. I think more people yeah. need that experience. More Absolutely. politicians need that experience. Yeah. A little perspective, yeah. you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I've told the folks, you know, that I, that I know that are running for county commission this year, you know, I'm like, get with uh, Linda at Action Agency. Linda it's, Manville. You know, it's not about, about. Uh, politics. This is about, you need to, you know, she'll set you up on a, on a, a district that where yeah. you live and you, you'll, you'll run into folks you've never met before. Right. And you're going to kind of get a sense, you know, on what you might be representing and what needs, needs to be represented. You yeah. Know? I, you need to, you need to be able to, you need to be able to interface with all of your constituency as a politician, sure. not just the ones who give you money. Sure. Right. You know, and a lot of these, you know, you're going to their house because they can't, you know, some of them can't afford to come see you at a, an event or whatnot. Or physically can't or physically get out. can't get out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's a win-win. You're getting to meet your neighbors and you're getting, to, you're yeah. helping feed them, you know, at the same time. So that, that's super cool. And I'm glad that you're getting to scratch that itch of public service that it seems that it seems like you've got and, without the headaches of the other stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would <laughs> because be because I lot. probably would have already strangled somebody on the county commission if I was actually there. It, it seems a you lot know? like fighting. You yeah, know? it's just ridiculous. Yeah. What, what What's that? The uh, I forget what what the meme was, something uh Went to a something in a school board meeting, broke out <laughs> yeah, or something right. like that. Went to a hockey game. And <laughs> yeah, a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, guys, thank you so much for, for doing this. This has been a long time coming, and I gotta, I, I gotta tell you, I don't know, you guys made a huge impact on my brother, who's a huge, uh, huge listener of the show, and he's been hounding me to have you guys in here for for uh, two years now. Wow. So I'm glad that that uh, you guys uh, <laughs> did it, and thank you for your. For taking your time on a yeah, on a glad to, to do it. Here. Of course, yeah, and, and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you real soon. I hope. Sure, we'll see you again, and hopefully, uh, maybe put you in another porta potty one day. You know, you never know. <laughs> Light that smoke bomb, baby! I'm ready to roll. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. All right, Thanks. see you. 
All right. Lots of good ones in there. We could have gone on for three more hours, but, you know, people got stuff to do. We got places to be, man. But thank you guys for being here. Uh, if you want to support the podcast on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash south of scruffy. Instagram's a good way to keep up with us. You can send us an email, southofscruffy at gmail.com. At South of Scruffy is our Instagram handle. Thank you guys for being here. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Talk to you real soon, all right? Pitchwire, play me out. <laughs>